Hey everyone, it's Father Pat here today to offer you my reflections on the scripture readings for today. Our readings for today are from the third Sunday of Advent. A reading from the book of the prophet Zephaniah. Shout for joy, O daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed the judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You have no further misfortune to fear. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, be not discouraged. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings at festivals. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our response. Cry out with joy and gladness, for among you is the great and holy one of Israel. Cry out with joy and gladness, for among you is the great and holy one of Israel. God indeed is my Savior. I am confident and unafraid. My strength and my courage is the Lord, and he has been my Savior. With joy, you will draw water at the fountain of salvation. Cry out with joy and gladness, for among you is the great and holy one of Israel. Give thanks to the Lord. Acclaim his name. Among the nations, make known his deeds. Proclaim how exalted is his name. Cry out with joy and gladness, for among you is the great and holy one of Israel. Sing praise to the Lord for his glorious achievement. Let this be known throughout all the earth. Shout with exultation, O city of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Cry out with joy and gladness, for among you is the great and Holy One of Israel. A reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The crowds asked John the Baptist, What should we do? He said to them in reply, Whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He answered them, Stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, And what is it that we should do? He told them, do not practice extortion. Do not falsely accuse anyone and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were filled with expectation and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
exhorting them in many other ways, he preached good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us have classic holiday specials that we watch year after year. I watched one of my favorites just last night. It's a Wonderful Life. No, but it's a good guess. I like that one. A Christmas Carol. Well, I'll watch that at some point too, but but no, it wasn't that one. A Christmas Story. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Nope, none of those either. Last night, I got my fix of A Very Brady Christmas. Now, now just about every kid my age grew up watching The Brady Bunch. Only moderately uh, successful during its five-year first run, it became really popular in syndication. In 1988, just about everyone I ever met watched the made-for-TV Christmas reunion, A Very Brady Christmas, whether they admitted it or not. I remember going to work the next day. I was uh, in my first year, I believe, of working uh, out of college, and uh, not much work got done in the office as my co-workers and I shared our tongue-in-cheek observations of the movie the night before. Now, all grown up, just like the Brady kids, we couldn't help but look back fondly on our on our, our once vastly more innocent and, and childlike view of the world uh, that the Bradys let us go back to for just a few hours on a December night. Ironically, just a month before that, the grunge rock group Nirvana released their first single. It was November of 1988. Nirvana's rise signaled an end to the popularity of the airy pop culture, uh, pop music culture of the prior decade. Uh, the, the, the themes uh, in, in, in uh, grunge music, and particularly in Nirvana's music, were uh, abjection and alienation. And they brought to the surface the voices of those who felt rejected and marginalized and, and disenchanted uh, with a world and in a world where, where they didn't fit in. The group's name, Nirvana, matched the message of the music. The, the Eastern religious concept of Nirvana captured a desire to escape mortal existence and, and the restrictions of the body and the sufferings of life and, and instead go to a place of complete freedom and peace, a state of near nothingness. Now, while I'll admit that my generation was somewhat naive and destined for disappointment in many ways, this, this uh, whole movement in music seemed to me like a jump into cynicism and, and downright despair. Sadly, just six years later, in 1994, the face of the group and the grunge movement, Nirvana lead singer Kurt Cobain, took his own life after an ongoing struggle with heroin addiction. He and I lived in the same world. We were, we were born just 76 days apart, and yet we saw it and experienced it in very different ways. We hear in our first reading today, Shout for joy, O daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Fear not, O Zion. Be not discouraged. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you, as one sings at festivals. Now, I hate to say this, but, but I think Zephaniah might be bipolar. He preached during the um, 7th century BC, a, a time when the southern kingdom of Judah is mired in, in corruption and in infidelity. It's probably uh, maybe a couple of decades or so before before the fall of, uh, of Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh, 
The prophet's focus during that time and in his prophecy is on what he calls the day of judgment, which he says is on the horizon. In the early chapters of uh, his prophecy, his terrifying works, uh, uh, works, his, his, uh, his words speak of God's wrath and his destruction that he thinks is imminent. Then, um, almost without explanation, Zephaniah, like, uh, you know, changes his, changes his tune. Shout for joy, he says. Why? Because the God uh, from whom you deserve punishment is in your midst. He's here, right? He's, he's coming to save you. Now, has something changed? Have the people suddenly repented and gotten their act together? No, there's no indication that that's happened at all. But, but Zephaniah is saying that the Lord is, is somehow going to transform their infidelity and their, and their failure into an opportunity to show his, his infinite power and also uh, the, depth, the depth of his love. There, there may be painful days ahead, as this early prophecy uh, indicated, but, but those are not God's will. They're merely the consequence of, of the people's sin. But God sees what they can't see in themselves, the, the goodness, the essential goodness in, in those who is, he has created in his image and likeness. And he will sing joyfully because of them when his judgment is complete. That's the same world that Paul lives in, that optimistic world. Paul writes to the church uh, in our second reading today. We hear Paul writing to the church in Philippi, encouraging them to rejoice and to, and to have no anxiety. Paul, at this point, of course, had plenty of time on his hands uh, to be writing letters. Why? Because he was in prison. That's right. Paul's writing from prison. And yet he's joyful. And he's encouraging others to be joyful in his letter to them. Earlier in the letter, he, he remarks that his imprisonment is actually a help to spreading the gospel. It makes his ministry even more legendary. Hmm, maybe I should take some lessons from him, huh? Jesus is better known, and, 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 and discipleship is spreading through Paul's struggle that's contributing to the spread of the gospel. And, and so despite the obstacles and the dangers that they themselves face, Paul tells the Christians of Philippi that, that they should also rejoice because, as he says, the Lord is near. They have nothing to fear. They're never going to want for anything. And so their preaching, their spread of the gospel will, will be even more effective because of the challenges they face. And how does that look in, in practical terms? Paul puts it very succinctly. He says, your kindness should be known to all. Your kindness should be known to all. And so what should we do? What should we do? Lucky for us, that question has been asked and answered before. In fact, three different groups of people ask that question of John the Baptist in, in today's gospel reading. First, it's the crowds, who we can assume were the, the same fishermen and farmers and, and average Joes that, that uh, followed Jesus and struggled each day to make a living. John tells them to take what they have, which, which isn't much, an extra cloak, some extra food, and to give it to somebody who needs it. Then the tax collectors ask the same question. These are the Jews who's, who sold out or, or, or perceived by uh, the other people to have sold out to the Roman government to be their local agents because in doing so, they could get rich themselves by charging, charging a commission above the taxes that are owed to the government. John tells them, in response to their question, to just collect the actual tax, to stop cheating people, 
for your own benefit. And then the soldiers come, underpaid. Obviously, they're complaining about their salaries. Uh, John talks about that. And, and, and so these soldiers use their power to claim a, 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 an exalted position in the local society. What does he tell them to do? Stop it. You do have power, yes, but use it to serve rather than to dominate. And, and why should the crowds and the tax collectors and the soldiers and soldiers do these things? Not because they're so generous and wonderful and kind. They should do it because, because they have nothing to fear. The Lord is in their midst. They're infinitely loved, and, and they can rejoice in his mercy. There's no need to hoard possessions or accumulate wealth or wealth or or or, or use uh, power to dominate. Not for them and not for anyone. They live in true freedom, or they should live in true freedom and unbridled joy. So again, what should we do? Let's look to a native Philadelphian for answers. And I'm not talking about me, unfortunately. Catherine Drexel was born in the year 1858, the daughter of a wealthy financier and philanthropist. Her mother died when she was just five months old, and her stepmother also died young of, of cancer. Upon her father's death, Catherine, still a young woman, inherited a fortune. Through her father's uh, generosity, philanthropy, and his efforts in philanthropy, Catherine had become aware of, of uh, the poverty and, and the, uh, the lack of education among the Native American populations in the Midwest and in the Western states, as well as similar struggles among African-American peoples who just really decades before had, had been given uh, their freedom. And so Catherine Drexel, young Catherine Drexel, used her inheritance to found schools for these communities in the far reaches of the nation, financed with her own money. And then in 1891, after a brief time um, with the Sisters of Mercy, she founded her own order, a new order, called the Blessed Sacrament Sisters for Indians and Colored People of which she was superior general. She spent, over, over her lifetime, she spent her vast fortune financing and, and, and through her sisters, staffing these educational efforts and also helped finance parish churches who were committed to providing welcome to African-American and Native American parishioners. In fact, in our own diocese, the Basilica, Basilica of Mary Help of Christians in Belmont, as well as St. Peter's Catholic Church in downtown Charlotte, benefited from her generosity. By the time of her death in 1955, the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament had grown to some 500 members in 51 convents, and they had established 49 elementary schools, 12 high schools, and Xavier University in New Orleans, all to serve Native American and African American populations. Catherine Drexel was, was canonized St. Catherine Drexel in the year 2000, just the second Native American saint, native-born American saint, and her remains are interred at the Cathedral Basilica of Saints Peter and Paul in Philadelphia. Now, you probably didn't inherit a vast fortune. Well, neither did I, and, and neither did Paul, or the crowds, or the tax collectors, or the soldiers in today's gospel. But whatever your situation, live without fear, with freedom, and the knowledge that the Lord is in our midst. That is why we give in this season of giving, not of our generosity, not because we're so generous, as our generosity is nothing when compared to God's 
We give the most precious gifts when we give with unbridled joy. God bless you.